So we'll begin with our reading from Rays of the One Light by Swami Kriyananda. And our Easter reading is Resurrection for Every Soul. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. In the Gospel of St. John, chapter 20, we read the inspiring account of Jesus' resurrection. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulchre, the stone taken away from the sepulchre. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple who Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in their midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. The resurrection of Jesus, doubted by many, but affirmed by those who were close to him, was a miraculous event, though one not unique in history. For many great saints of other religions have appeared to their disciples after death. Sometimes their appearances have been, as that of Jesus was, in flesh and blood form, and not only in vision. Paramahansa Yogananda relates in Autobiography of a Yogi the account of his guru, Sri Akteshwar's resurrection after his earthly passing. Miracles of this type are revealed only rarely to the masses, but accounts of them, related by men and women of reputed truthfulness, have inspired many devotees with faith in the reality of subtler than material states of existence. Resurrection, Yogananda explained, means transformation, ultimately from any lower state of being to a higher one. Worldly consciousness cannot imagine such transformation except in terms of perhaps an improvement of the present mess of pottage with the addition of a new flavoring. Divine consciousness, however, is capable of taking the base metal of worldliness and transforming it into the divine gold of divine wisdom and love. In keeping with this truth, the Bhagavad Gita in the ninth chapter tells us, Ah, ye who into this ill world are come, false and fleeting, set your faith fast on me. Fix heart and thought on me. Adore me. Bring offerings to me. Make me prostrations. Make me your supremest joy. And, undivided, unto my rest, your spirits shall be guided. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind.
Good morning, everyone. Usually we start uh, with a reading from Whispers from Eternity, but thank you. But I'm going to read a letter, an Easter letter. Master used to send out letters at Easter and Thanksgiving and Christmas time, and this is from 1938. This is a letter Master sent out to the disciples. The little wavelet of Christ's life played helpfully over the bosom of cosmic life for a while, and then it vanished within the ocean's tenderness, not to die, but to be fed with eternal ambrosia, and to come back again to declare the immortality of its tiny existence. The ocean of God throbbed once more in the resurrected Prince Jesus. Flowers fade, never to return. But Jesus only slept to obey the sweet command of nature and woke again to declare his mastery over her. Jesus has silenced the laughter of unbelieving eyes and the audacious poetic assertion that no traveler has ever returned from death's born by coming back to the place from which no one ever returned before. With the return of Jesus to this mundane domain, a hope was resurrected in the hearts of a thousand million mortals, the hope that they too could wipe away the sting of death from their breaths of everlastingness. Christ hid himself again to show that he could not only resurrect his eternalness in the body of Jesus, but also in every blossom and in every living being that would ever smile in the garden of creation through endless eons. Christ was resurrected not only on Easter morn, but he reanimates himself in the dawn of each soul's awakening. Our souls die every day whenever we are buried in the tomb of ignorance and we resurrect ourselves again in cosmic wisdom. Banish the death consciousness perceived during the sleep of delusion and resurrect your soul in the ever-reigning light of immortality. Let this be your Easter awakening. The Easter week and uh, the resurrection of Jesus is one of the most dramatic events in all of history, perhaps the most dramatic. It has the power to have basically created a whole religion. Just think for a moment, if Jesus has not resurrected, if the end of the story had been that they crucified him and that was it, I don't think we would have Christianity. We would not celebrate that event 2,000 years later because there wouldn't be very much to celebrate. And in fact, the reason that we have Sunday service is because the resurrection of Jesus occurred on a Sunday, the day after the Jewish Sabbath, which is a Saturday. And so in Christianity, Sunday service is like the re-celebration of Jesus' resurrection. And so that every week is celebrated in a certain way. There are many, many ways that we can look at 
the events of Easter and the events of the crucifixion and the resurrection. But I want to talk about some ways that would be helpful to us in our present life. The first thing I want to talk about is how we receive tests, how we work with those tests, and what those tests mean for us. Because the Easter week and the arrest of Jesus and the crucifixion and then the resurrection, there are many, many tests in that. First of all, we receive tests every day. And it isn't whether we receive those tests or not that matters. Obviously, we're going to receive them. We draw them to ourselves. The question is whether we learn from those tests. And let's look at some of the tests of the Easter week. One might say the biggest loser of all, I mean, obviously the biggest loser of all, must have been Judas, right? I mean, he betrayed Christ for a little bag of silver and Christ was then arrested and crucified and and when Judas realized what had happened, he went out and hung himself, committed suicide. Now you can't be much of a bigger loser than that. But that's not true. Judas made a mistake. He made a serious mistake. But he was remorseful about his mistake. That's why he committed suicide. Now what was his mistake? Was it that he was greedy? Swamiji has said that that wasn't really the essence of where Judas's problem lie. Judas's problem was in the fact that he thought he knew better than Jesus. And so he'd been in a series of little arguments all along with Jesus. Some of them were around money, but more it was around power and how to, how Jesus should express his power. But remember not very much earlier, there was the scene where Mary Magdalene was rubbing costly ointment into the feet of Jesus. And Judas said, why are you doing that? That stuff costs a lot of money. It should be sold and the money given to the poor. Well, it was a little bit about money because that was a particular issue for him. But it was more around correcting Jesus and the relationship of Jesus and the disciple. And Jesus said, the poor you have always with you. Me you will not have with you always. But Jesus wasn't talking about himself as an ego. He was talking about the awareness or the being in the presence of Christ consciousness. And so the mundane world we're going to have with us all the time. But it's very, very precious when we have a direct relationship inwardly or outwardly with the Christ consciousness, either in a manifested form or as the light that is within us. And so what he was saying to Judas is, take that as a precious moment. Don't kind of diminish it, walk away, and get back into mundane affairs. Well, Judas, Swamiji has said, 
probably made the deal with the high priest to reveal Jesus, to betray him, not because he wanted Jesus to die, because he wanted Jesus to show his power. He, he was wanting Jesus to essentially take care of the, you know, show, show how great he was so that, so that Jesus and by extension the disciples and most important to Judas, by extension Judas, would be shown to be powerful. But the divine doesn't work that way. Jesus said, I could call legions of angels. I don't have to be taken in this way. I could call legions of angels and I could avoid all of this, but he didn't do it. Master said that he had the power by thought to create intense pain in a person if they did something that that crossed him or hurt him or threatened him. He could cause intense pain in that person just by thought. said, but I never do it. I've never done it. God doesn't do that. God to do, could do that. But the lessons are there. So Judas seems to have lost that test. But because he was remorseful, about what had happened. Not very many lifetimes later, he was freed. He became a disciple, or was at least living in the ashram of Ramakrishna, just not even a century ago, I suppose. And he was very quiet, uh, and someone went, and he still had a little tiny attachment to money, And someone teased him about it. And Ramakrishna said, don't tease him. He's suffered enough over that one. Anyway, he was free. So we have all made mistakes. And we've all suffered from those mistakes. But it's the question of whether we want to grow from that mistake or not. Another one was Peter. Peter, you know, it's not like these tests are even avoidable for us. Here Jesus told Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows. And Peter said, oh, I'll never deny you. Peter again failed that test. But again, he was remorseful and he learned from it and he became the foundation stone upon which the church was built. Jesus was able to pour the power of God into all of those disciples, open them up so that the power of God could flow. All of the disciples of Jesus faced the test. They faced test of fear. They faced when Jesus was taken in the garden of Gethsemane, they all ran away. Only Peter had the courage among all of them at least to follow as a distance. The rest all ran away because it was... Imagine how frightening that would be. So they hid in fear. They failed that test. But at least they had gathered together and they were mournful. So they, they too passed their test. Who didn't pass the test? The high priests. They didn't pass the test. Those high priests not only condemned Jesus to death, argued for his death against Pontius Pilate, who said, I don't want to 
he's an innocent man. Let's let him go. No, no, you've got to kill him. You've got to kill him. Um, so they didn't pass their test. That judgmental, power-hungry attitude, they weren't remorseful. They were proud of it. So they've gone on lifetime after lifetime living out those same flaws. I don't know what they've been. Maybe they've been judgmental priests who shake their finger at everyone and say, only I'm right. You're wrong. You're going to go to hell. Maybe they're power hungry. They became politicians. or Maybe they became radio talk show hosts. I don't know. But unless, unless they have changed that attitude, which was wrong, they failed the test. It isn't the test... It's whether we learn from the test or not. And so all of us, we're going to have tests all the time. Jesus himself seems to have had a test. I mean, he himself knew that, of course, what was coming. But in the garden, he prayed, Lord, let this cup pass from me, if, if you will. But he didn't hold that. Because his consciousness was beyond that. He said, let thy will be done. So that's the, so tests are going to come. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to not, not pass the test in the moment. It's like when we're in fifth grade and we get a spelling test. We're going to misspell some of the words on that test. But the question is whether we then learn from our mistake and learn how to do it right. Well, that's a tiny insignificant example, but every day we have something where we have a wrong attitude, a wrong action, a wrong understanding. And do we learn from that or not? That's the real question. And so one of the lessons is that in each of us are the echoes of each of the people who went through this. We have our Judases in our own mental citizens. Master talked about how our mind is made up of thousands, millions of mental citizens. There's a Judas in there ready to argue with Master, argue with Jesus, thinks, I know better. You're really impractical, Master. You're really impractical, Jesus. Why don't you, you know, face the reality that there are, there are practical concerns here. We'd better get the money together. We'd be- and argue with the subtler laws and think that they're right. There's a Judas in us, but will we learn from making mistakes? There's a Peter, there's a... There are the high priests in us. But will they take over the kingdom? There is the rebel crowd within us that one day throws palm fronds in front of Jesus and three or four days later cries out, let's save Barabbas, Barabbas, not Jesus. Barabbas, not Jesus. So there are those people in our mental citizenry. So what we have to do is we have to keep working and working to bring forward the qualities of attunement. So the next thing is about attunement, attuning our 
will to God's will. That especially is what Jesus showed. That yes, it's fine for us to ask to be let out of some test that's coming. It would be a little bit unnatural not to. But we have to then come down on the side of if this is your will, then let your will be done. Why do we want to get out of things that are coming to us? Because we don't understand. It's out of a little bit of ignorance. But if we accept God's will in a test, then what we will find is that not only was that test not what we thought it was, not only was that test not our enemy, but that test was a demonstration of God's love for us. Maybe that test is an illness. Maybe that test is someone condemning you. Maybe that test is financial. Whatever it is, what our job is always is to tune in to God's will. And we do that by saying, please, Lord, don't, as Yanamata, one of the great saints, the Master's most advanced woman disciple, as she said, don't change any circumstance in my life. Don't ask that things go away. Don't change any circumstance in my life. Change me. And if we accept what comes to us, and we accept God's will and God's love behind that, then we find out that it is the greatest gift that we can be given. Now Jesus kind of seemed a little bit to push that away. So what would have happened if he didn't quite want to follow God's will and said, let this cup pass from me. Not your will, Lord, but let my will be done here. And he had been able to avoid the test of the crucifixion and what was going to follow after, after that, right after that prayer, basically. If he was able to avoid that week, the humiliation, the pain, the crucifixion, the apparent death, what would have been the result of his will instead of God's will? There wouldn't have been Christianity. So he would have won the little tiny battle but lost, lost the whole war. Very, very often the tests that come to us that are the most important seem to be the worst possible thing that could happen. The loss of a loved one, a terrible illness, who knows what. Don't need the laundry list of ills of this world, they're there. But that which comes to us sometimes is that which we fear most. That which we fear most, if God is sending us that test and we accept his will, then we get rid of a huge chunk of delusion and karma. And the freedom that comes from following God's will is enormous. We're, we're it's, it's really our very, very greatest friend. So our attitude should be as much as possible 
acceptance, and beyond acceptance, gratitude for everything that comes to us. Because everything that comes, your soul has drawn that to you for your own freedom. And the fact that you get it is God's gift of love. Your soul is asking for it. Your personality may not like it, but your soul is asking for it. And it's God's gift to you that it comes. And then finally, I want to talk a little bit about the theme that Master also talked about in the the Easter letter. And that's the theme of resurrection on a daily basis within us. You know, what really is going on in resurrection is that uh, think of the word not resurrection, but re-erection. The building stones, that's what Jesus said, tear this temple down and I will rebuild it in three days. Well, he was talking about building stones of the body, the atoms and the molecules. Tear those down and I will re-erect this body in three days, which is what he did. But so you tear down any form and the energy of that form still remains. And we can re-erect or resurrect that energy in a higher, more subtle way. Or we can not do that. But it all depends on our consciousness and our mental ability to take whatever comes and make the best of it. I want to read this from Master because... We can draw to ourselves. He said that St. Francis saw and talked with Jesus in flesh and blood every night. And he said, any one of us can do that. We can draw Jesus to us. In fact, we don't need to draw Jesus to us. Jesus is already right here in this room right now. Just as the television channels are right here in this room right now, if we had a television set that could translate those signals that are flying through the room, we could see those signals. If we had a television set at the spiritual eye that was a sensitive, not a sensitive enough receiver we could see Jesus because he's right here right now as his master, as his Swamiji, as his all the great ones. I want to read this quote from Master about it. St. Francis said, I meet Christ every night in flesh and blood. Why don't you see Christ or hear his voice? Because your physical ears and eyes are not attuned. You cannot see even television images or hear songs passing through the ether of this material world without the aid of a television screens and radios. The static of spiritual restlessness keeps you from perceiving the still finer vibrations, which are highly delicate forces. I'm going to read that again because that's the real key. The static of spiritual restlessness keeps you from perceiving the still finer vibrations which are highly delicate forces. That is why you do not see Christ and the great ones, 
until you learn how to tune in with them. Christ is right here. He can be seen if you look within your forehead at the point between the eyebrows, the center of Christ consciousness, the seat of the single or spiritual eye. If you want to see Christ, concentrate at this point of spiritual vision. Look through the spiritual eye. If you want to receive his universal intelligence, you have to feel his consciousness in the spiritual eye. And that's why we meditate. It's in deep meditation where this spiritual restlessness can be set aside and we can attune to the fine, fine vibrations. It takes great stillness of consciousness. Our, that restlessness makes this, those vibrations are too subtle to be attuned to. So in deep meditation, by bringing our consciousness here, we can, if we work at it, if we do that enough and deeply enough, we can see Jesus, we can see Master, because they are right here with us right now, and they've never left us. It's just us needing to work on our powers of perception. Not, not, it's not their problem, it's our problem. Now there are two other things that draw the presence of these great ones. The first is love. And so if we love them, if we think of them, if we give our energies to drawing them, then they respond. To those who think me near, I will be near, Master said. They're there waiting for us. And they respond to the love and to the desire on our part to have them near. The other thing, and Master went into this at great length, is what draws Jesus into our life is that we live a life that looks like Jesus. He said it's difficult, it's very challenging, but he said especially humility and compassion. He said the highest thing, the highest teaching of all of Jesus when, was when he was on the cross. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Don't let the bad karma go to them. They do it out of ignorance. Forgive them, Father. Master said that if we can follow that example of when we are challenged, when we don't like something, if we can say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Humility, compassion, forgiveness, that desire to constantly be a channel of light, as Tim so beautifully put it, that channel of light into the world. If we want to see Jesus, then we must do the best we can in our life to live a life that vibrates in attunement with Jesus. And that sets up the space, the conscious space within us in which he can appear. And we then will find that the resurrection takes place every day.